Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you also. If you have your Bibles, we are continuing in the book of Acts, chapter 4 this morning. And we will stand in a moment and take verses 1 through 22. Should take us 3 minutes and 19 seconds. Please stand for our reading of God's Word, the book of Acts, chapter 4, the first 22 verses. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed, that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them... In the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that They were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem And we cannot deny it, but so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what he had done. The man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Please be seated. Well, that felt like a lot longer than three minutes. (laughs) Unintimidated preaching. They weren't reckless in that they were fearless. Uh, at later times to, times to come, because we're just warming up in the book of Acts. There's so much more that we're going to come in contact with. This is the beginning of persecution against Christianity. And this chapter, of course, continues what began in the previous chapter, in the first verse, as they were going into the temple and they had healed this beggar, this lame, lame beggar, and uh, caught the attention of the authorities, and they were arrested. So, looking at verse 1, now, as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed, verse 2, that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Well, as I mentioned, this is the first persecution of the infant church. Uh, The religious leaders, particularly the Sadducees, uh, they were in great conflict with what was being preached It's been an information war since the Garden of Eden, since that serpent uh, engaged Eve. 
the priest, they were present for this arrest because of where Peter was preaching. He's on the Temple Mount. The Sadducees, they're present because of what Peter was preaching. And of course, they have the temple authority, the police that are doing the arresting. These Sadducees, uh, they are the largest antagonists in the book of Acts. They did not believe in the supernatural. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in miracles. They were the modernists of their day. And they also rejected scripture, uh, scriptural tradition from the prophets, the things that were taught. However, they did acknowledge Moses because they had to have just, a, you know, enough religion to be accepted by the people. Uh, they were usually wealthy, had a lot of power. They were skeptic scoffers. They were not only skeptics, they scoffed also, uh, as I mentioned, pretending to respect Moses, but really they were about themselves. And the fact that they denied the resurrection from the dead, the very thing Peter and John were preaching, got under their skin. This is documented, their position against the, the uh, supernatural in the Gospels. Will, Paul will deal with them in Acts chapter 23 when he, uh, he pits the Pharisees against the Sadducees quite wisely. Anyway, these Sadducees, they relished all the natural answers of human beings without God. And this is important to us because they're, these type of people are, are they're, they're always around. They're here to this very day. Those who uh, champ, you know, think that they're, you know, well, I'm very analytical and I'm very logical, and, and well, the rest of us are not, and you, you've heard me go through that spiel before. All of this is relevant to me. Peter's teaching on the resurrection clashed with, their, clashed with their beliefs. Well, there are other things we preach that clash with beliefs of others, and we are to still preach it. Unintimidated preaching. And since the resurrection, uh, the keynote of the apostles' preaching is that Jesus Christ was murdered and he got up. After he had died, he rose again. Charles Spurgeon in 1888, he preached this in one of his sermons. And the religious establishment did not care for Charles Spurgeon. He was too successful at preaching Jesus and not successful enough at uh, preaching religion and ritual. And what he has to say I, it's very, you, you be the judge of how relevant it is to this day. Again, preached in 1888, the Sadducees were the broad school, the liberals, the advanced thinkers, the modern thought people of the day. If you want a bitter sneer, a biting sarcasm, or a cruel action, I commend you to these large-hearted gentlemen. They are liberal to everybody except to those who hold the truth. And for those, they have, a, they have a reserve of concentrated bitterness, which far excels wormwood and gall. They are so liberal to their brother Eroist that they have no tolerance to spare for evangelicals. Even with the clumsy reading, I think you get the point. This is what the, the, the Spurgeon had to deal with. We have to deal with it. The apostles had to deal with this. So as a Christian, I shouldn't be so shocked when I find things in the headline and in the government. Why are Christians so, oh, look, they're taking our freedom. Well, what do you expect the enemy to try to do? What is going to be our response to this? That's what I'm more interested in. The Pharisees, they led the nation against Christ. But the Sadducees are leading the nation against the church. And that is one of the differences between the book of Acts and the days in the Gospels when Christ walked. The facts prove the resurrection to those living in Jerusalem at the time of the resurrection. Or else it would have been no discussion. It would have been absurd. The resurrection is authority. It is a threat to the unbeliever. If Christ did rise and you don't believe, what's going to happen to you? That's what the resurrection preaches. He was crucified for sinners. He rose again because he's the son of God. And if you don't bow to him, it's not going to be good for you. The wrath of God will abide on you. 
Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, but for many of those it will be too late. They'll have no choice but to bow before God. After 2,000 years, those refusing to bow to Jesus are still greatly disturbed that the followers of Christ still preach that he is not on the cross. That's why the crucifix is an insult to the scriptural teaching. He's not on the cross. He wasn't on there but for about six hours, not 2,000 years. And uh, it is uh, a very important part of what we have to say to those who don't believe. Now, we shouldn't expect them to just say, oh, okay, thanks for explaining it to me. Now, I am a believer, too. You know, it's not that easy. Satan is very protective of his territory. And we should be very much protective of um, what the Lord wants us to do in spite of it. And that's why these men are unintimidated. They're so focused on preaching their message. Verse 3, And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Well, it was 3 in the afternoon when they first engaged the lame man and then give time for the preaching so the sun is going down and the day is ending, the Jewish day from sun up to sundown. They are now arrested and they will spend the night in, in jail. These rulers, Sadducees, uh, many of uh, if not most of the Pharisees and scribes, because some did convert, uh, but they became a problem too. Old, old habits are very hard to break. Uh, these rulers long ago forfeited their right to rule Israel. And not because people say so, but because they went against truth. They protected their position instead. Now, believers may struggle with truth. We struggle to, to get it all right. But these, these chaps... They stopped struggling, and they were satisfied with being anti-Christ. They were satisfied with seeing a miracle performed and trying to get rid of all the evidence. And they saw many miracles performed. They, this is what, what happened to them. Jesus, when he was preaching in Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, he goes into the city riding on a donkey. Uh, we understand that Palm Sunday moment, as we call it, the Greeks then wanted to see them, and, and he, you know, he likely did not. But there's an interesting statement that John makes about all this, that Jesus did all these miracles in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem, and they still, some of them, many of them, of the people, would not receive him. And John says this in John 12, verse 39, Therefore they could not believe. They could not believe. This is not Calvinism. Calvinism is a twist and, and, a, and an abuse of what the Scripture teaches. It, it abuses the, the idea of sovereignty. It turns it into tyranny. Uh, it just does uh, many things like that. But what is happening here is John is linking what was prophesied by Isaiah to the behavior of the people who decided to go to the point of no return. That after, after all God had done for them, they re there was nothing that was going to sway them back. And God warns of this in his Scripture. That, uh, this is what happened with Pharaoh. Hardening of the heart, hardening of the heart, until finally there was a point of no return. So, once again, John 12, 39, therefore they could not believe. That is spooky. That a human being can be so determined to be anti-Christ that the tale has been told for that individual. Now, we don't know when these times come. John writing under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But we certainly can say it's coming for many people. Truth is the foundation of, of, of the authority for the religious leaders. Truth is the foundation. But when you decide to build on some other foundation other than truth, you fall into this category. Uh, the, the, they discarded that very thing. Their disinterest in truth allowed them to be corrupt so that they could hold to power. I've said it many times, if you decide you are going to be led by the Holy Spirit, you're going to make, or you, you're going to make some enemies, if not ruffle, friendships with, unbelie with believers, with believers. There will be believers that won't like you saying, no, I'm not led to do that. that what, what can be wrong? Why not? I need you to do this. I need to listen to God, and they're not going to like it. And this is um, uh, 
an integral part of our faith is being led by the Spirit of God and not only by what seems to be right. And so we put it on our T-shirts and coffee mugs, you know, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge the Lord. Well, being led by the Spirit says, I'm not leaning on my own understanding. I can say many times, God just speaks to me and I don't... So, so when we saw Peter walk into the temple, I'll get back to that. I'll finish it up. He walks into the temple and he looks at this man. Where does he get the gall to tell him to rise up and heal him? How, how do you do that? There are plenty of beggars and lame people around, but he, he did it to this one. Well, when God wants his servants to move, he gives this to them. And I can say, in, in, in leading the church, there are times that God just tells me things. I, I just know this is what to do. And it's a tunnel vision after that. I don't care about what anybody thinks. This is what has to happen. So, for the individual Christian, you too, there are times you just know, this is what I have to do. I've got to get to so-and-so. I've got to do, I'm not going to do that. This is uh, being led by the Spirit. Anyway, uh, their arrest did not undo what the Holy Spirit did do in the conversion of uh, this multitude. The number of the men came to be about 5,000, verse 4. Now, the Greek word for men is gender-specific. It is male. These are males. Because that's how they counted in those days. It does not mean women were not being converted. Uh, wives, sisters, moms, uh, neighbors. But it's just saying these are the men that were converted. And uh, you combine this... However, were many were converted at Peter's preaching here after healing the lame man with Acts 1, 15, where there was 150, and then Acts 2.42, about 3,000 were saved. And you have probably a, a universal church now of about 10,000 people. Now, it's universal because it's not just in Jerusalem. On the day of Pentecost, many of those pilgrims who were converted went back to where they lived. Many stayed. And that becomes a problem. We get to chapter 6, uh, a logistical problem, at which Satan was trying to twist into a spiritual issue. So the church, is, it is growing. You have the Galilean Christians that are not in this number, and uh, the church is, is spread out. They will then build these local churches. The church at Antioch will be a thriving church. And why that church thrives is because it has Jews and Gentiles alike in that church. And Satan tried to bust that up by sending Christians up there to investigate them. Uh, and so, you know, I mentioned that there's still a lot more action to come. When, when the Holy Spirit said, separate to me, Saul and Barnabas, or Paul and Barnabas, uh, eventually Satan was going to come at that relationship too. And we'll, we'll get we're getting ahead of it. Anyway, who can tell how many people have been saved since the apostles were unleashed on Jerusalem and then the world. Today's liberal news media, had they been around for this, they would have criminalized the converts. They were there to cause a riot. They were, their fingernails are dirty. They have split ends in their hair. Just so stupid things they would just, and, and there would be an audience that would go, oh, tell us more. Just like we see it today. <laughs> my, my wife took a picture of someone at the gas pump yesterday that had a, uh, a Biden sticker on the car. And I, and I don't want to mock the person, but they looked like the cousin It. They, they had the hair. Uh, you couldn't see their face. I'm not trying. I'm just describing the first thought. And there was no one around. And they had the mask on, of course, and road cones around them. And, and you just say, there are people that love Kool-Aid. They just will drink anything. This is spiritual. There's demonic activity. In the days of Christ, you say, boy, he threw out a lot of demons. I'm glad we're not like that today. Well, slow down there. Maybe we are. The problem is they vote. That's why I vote two or three times. <laughs> Fight back. Anyway. Um... Verse 4, and it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, verse 6, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, 
and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. Luke does a magnificent job. He is saying, let me show you what these, these men were up against. And, and this verse does it. These are the nation's supreme leaders. This is like the supreme court and lower courts all gathered together. And they're all cronies, the family of the high priest. Come on, are you kidding me? If you've ever worked somewhere in a family-run business, some families, they, they do it better and they have certain rights. It is their family. But certain other families, man, the nepotism is, is just too much to deal with. Um, this, what I want to bring out of this, where it says, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander. Okay, we know the first two, Annas and Caiaphas, were very much part <clears throat> responsible for the arrest and crucifixion of Christ. The devil's duo, they're at it again. Annas is the father-in-law of Caiaphas. He was the high priest, but Rome didn't like him, so they appointed Caiaphas in his place. But he's still the people's high priest, and so they're in cahoots, these two. And the rest, John, Alexander, whoever they are, were, they were no doubt present for the murder of Christ. And they tried to rid themselves of Jesus, and now they're trying to rid themselves of the disciples of Jesus. Uh, Peter had already charged these men and the nation with killing Christ in chapter 3. He will do it again in this chapter, and he will do it again in chapter 5. Peter did not like them. He loved the Lord. And all he could seem to think about is, you guys are killers of the one I love. And I'm supposed to love back. And to do that, I'm going to point out how creepy you are. Because I can't heal you if you don't acknowledge that there's something wrong with you. Anyway, it is unfortunate that the New King James Version here, the translators omit two of the conjunctions, and, A-N-D, chi in the Greek, or maybe pronounced differently and good for them. Uh, it's that repetition of, of conjunctions, polysendon, that, that is supposed to make the point. It emphasizes the point. So I'm going to read it from the King James Version, um, which, is, which captures it. It retains the conjunctions. Acts chapter 4 and 5, their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kingdom. You see that? And, and, and. So Luke is pouring it on. He's saying, listen, these guys are indicted. These are the guys. And they are lined up. And so he deliberately uses that repetition to emphasize the turnout against two fishermen for healing somebody. Yeah, the world is insane. And they, they think that they're not. They think, you know, it's like the, the, the inmates have run the asylum. And the sane people are locked away. Uh, opposition in high places is the message. Uh, this opposition is responsible for the blood on the cross. And yet they knew about the empty tomb and looked the other way. And you say, how can people be so messed up? Look what's happening in Ukraine. There is a very real Satan. And he loves world leaders. And uh, he'll, he'll take anybody he can get, but he can do a lot of damage through one person. And history is replete with this. It says here in... Verse 6, and as many as were of the family of the high priests were gathered together at Jerusalem. There's another conjunction. And as many, the family of Annas, um, they voted any way he wanted them to vote. He made him rich with wealth. Verse 7, <clears throat> and when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Now, this was a fair question. But this court of inquiry was corrupt. Coming from honest men, it would have been a nice, uh, just a wonderful opportunity to share. Deuteronomy 13 tells that, you know, if there are signs and wonders done and it's not in the name of Yahweh, then that person's a false prophet. If they have dreams, even if it comes true, because there are spiritual activities. So this is, uh, you know, they're using the law of Moses to go against Men who actually have seen Moses. There's no one in Israel that has seen Moses that is alive except John, P. 
Peter and James, John's brother. Uh, and this is Peter and John, of course. I think James was pretty much a stabilizing force amongst the apostles. Not James, the brother of the Lord. James, the brother of John. Uh, his death was really a, a big thing. But he was, a st- because he's very quiet, you don't hear him say much. But he's always there. Why is he always there between Peter and John? You keep them from separated. I don't know. But I, I do think it was a, a, just a, he's not even replaced after he's scaled. He can't. I mean, he just thought, well, I'm, I'm going off track. We'll get to that when, when he is martyred. But uh, these leaders were notorious for covering up facts. I'm glad that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> the, the devil at this point didn't have to lift a finger. He had enough corruption in these men. All he had to do was just nudge them and they're off. And it's the same thing. You probably know people like this in the workplace or just universal in the neighborhood. The devil doesn't have to do anything with them. They're, they're just on the payroll now. And they're hauling the chili for the enemy every chance they get. Every time they're behind the wheel, they are on his errand. Well, proclaiming the name over an event... Assigning a name to it is assigning ownership, and that's what Peter's going to do. This is Jesus Christ, God in Jesus Christ doing this. In verse 10, he'll do that. It's Christ is the performer of this miracle, whom you killed. Oh, did I mention you killed him? And I, I so what are the lessons in this? That You don't win people by appeasing them. Oh, don't hurt their feelings. You don't tell them the truth. We'll spring that on them later. It's like a bait and switch. Uh, you know, in the, the, it's illegal in the, in, in the business world. If you're caught, it's hard to catch him. Who likes that? Who likes to be drawn into the store and they, they withhold the truth from you and then they spring it on you after you get your hopes all up? Find out it doesn't come in your size. Anyway, you know, it'll stretch. Just wear them for a week or two. Any, anyway... Uh, verse, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel. This starts out very polite, does he not? Well, according to the New Testament, the Spirit of God is God. God the Holy Spirit. And so where it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he's filled with God. God is doing this. Now, there are these momentary fillings when the, when the Spirit just fills us for a task, but there are many subsequent fillings. You, we cannot always uh, overflow. There's just not that much to us. But we can always be full. Uh, we cannot always flame, but we can always be hot. You know, you, if you have a campfire and you put enough wood on it, after a while you get those coals, it is hot. It doesn't have to be flaming. But it's ready to flame if you put some fuel on it. And that is, uh, I think, a parallel of being filled with the Spirit. I would hate to come up here. I don't tell you how many times I come into the pulpit and I don't know what to say. I'm a little nervous. I don't know. How's this going to go? Are they going to recognize greatness? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, then the Spirit just, you know... Be quiet. Get going. Start talking. How can I be quiet? Okay, anyway. Uh, So, um, Peter, had he not been filled with the Spirit, what would he have been filled with? Had he not been filled with the Spirit, we wouldn't have his sermon here. We would not appreciate what is going on here. We're going to come across the seven sons of Sceva who confront a devil, and they're not filled with the Spirit, and we find out what happens. And he's not, they're not the only ones. And so it is one thing to be filled with the Spirit. It is another thing to have him flowing out. And he is the one that controls that. But we can interfere. All we have to do is remain receptive and pliable in his hands. He is the potter and we are the clay. There are filled churchgoers and there are unfilled churchgoers. And you, you can usually tell after a while. Sometimes you can tell right away. Uh, Anyway, he said to them, rulers of the people and the elders. Thirty years later, Peter, writing to persecuted persecuted Christians in various places, he says, sanctify the Lord in your hearts. 
And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and respect. Well, he's giving, he's ready, and he's giving the answer, and he's respectful. Even though the, the truth is, is hard on those other guys, it's true. You killed him. That, it would be disrespectful, would it not, to lie to them? To hold back the things that they need to hear? To give them a chance to be smitten in heart and repent? Paul said, let your speech always <coughs> be seasoned with grace and a cough every now and then. Seasoned with, he says, let your speech always be with grace. Seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Now, sometimes, you know, you, Paul went ballistic a few times. God will smack you, you whitewashed wall, he said. when he told, yeah, We didn't put it exactly like that, but that's what he was saying when they, when they struck him. Oh, I didn't know that was the high priest. I used to think Paul knew, and I leaned towards he, he did not know. But we'll get to that next also. I still hope he knew. And, and just, <laughs> he was hot, man, and smack him like that. I mean, punch me, but don't slap me. Well, don't do either. How about that? Anyway, uh, grace, you know, speaking with grace, you know, speak to people as though you're speaking to the Lord is, is a good pattern. Treat everyone the way you want Jesus to treat you within you know, the, the limitations that exist. Verse 9, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, and before I get it to the let it be known part, Peter, in verse 9, he's pointing out how silly this is. So I help a guy out, and you bring me to court? I mean, what is, it's not like I was helping him rob a bank, an accomplice. The man is begging. Incidentally, the man must have had some connections to, be, to have that prized spot at the gate to the temple. Uh, you know, why, why did he get to be there? He evidently was recognized by people, so he was a regular. And that's just an interesting side note. Well, which come, which is part of the story. But Peter is saying, this man, he's been there for years. No one's done anything about it. He's healed now. And you, you're fussing about this. You, do you know how silly you look? Well, these guys were so deep into themselves. It, it just, you know, truth didn't register anymore with them. Facts just did not register. Sometimes you can see this in an, an inflated moment where someone is angry or hysterical and you can't reason with them. But these men, they, they are, this is how they were all the time. You either were with them or in conflict against them. And few were in conflict with them. Who could withstand them? You'd lose your job messing with these guys or your life. They wanted to kill Lazarus for having the audacity to be raised from the dead. It's just, uh, and, you know, John wants to point that out. He says, oh, by the way, we were there. This happened. We want you to know this happened. So that when you find yourself in dealing with evil, dark people, you're not, oh, this strange thing's happening to me. I've been singled out. No, they are out there. Verse 10, he says, Peter speaking, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man stands here before you whole. So he seizes the moment, and <clears throat> they asked him what name in verse 6, and he tells them, and he adds, you killed him, but God overruled you. God did not agree with you. Now what happens? He says, whom you crucified, the senseless arrest. They were. Why did they interrupt? Why didn't they say, who do you think you are? I think they were too dumbfounded. I think the spirit was so coming out of Peter that they were flat on their feet. It was just like, uh, again, this Galilean is a terrible accent. He's, he's using his words wrong, you know, because they judged him by their speech. And, and yet he was flaying them with the truth. Whom God raised from the dead. Why did they not refute that statement right now? Why did not someone say, oh, that's what you said? Or no, he did not. Why did they just allow this? Because there was nothing, it was true. They had no evidence against it, and they had evidence for it. It wasn't like, well, we can't prove that he rose from the dead. Someone come along, yes, we can. And here are the facts. Since when do you buy off you know, Roman guards? 
that you all did because you knew that if they told the truth, you'd have to face the resurrection of Christ. Anyway, Peter says, you murdered him, but he did not stay dead on your behalf. And, uh, and he is the one that has healed this man, and I'm the instrument. And by him, this man stands here before you, he says in the bottom of verse 10. Months earlier, Peter stood warming himself by the fire, so confused about his faith, his identity in Christ. Now he has no doubts about who he is and who God is in Christ, and uh, the Holy Spirit is just empowering him to take charge. Verse 11, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. So he's using a prophetic metaphor as he points to the crime against their Messiah, He says, they're the ones that did it. And again, you get nowhere covering up the gospel. Well, you know, if if, if you're in the conversation, it doesn't mean we're, we're, you know, rash with our words. But if you're in dialogue with somebody about Christ, we tell the truth. And we work towards telling that truth. We do not suppress the truth. Uh, We are quite uh, vocal about where we stand. I believe in Jesus. I believe he is the Son of God. I believe he died and rose again. I believe he paid for us all. I believe he is the way to heaven and there is no other way. Uh, This is what I believe. And if you don't like it, that's you. That's not me. If you would like to know more, then I'll tell you. But I'm not giving you my email address. Well, am I the only one that does not give out his email address to even anybody? To the CIA can call up, Rick, can we have your email address? They don't call you? <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, he's quoting Psalm 118, and he's applying it to them. He adds that part, the stone which you builders rejected. He's not vague about this. Uh, this, is, um, this is old school preaching. This cornerstone is a big part of their law. It comes up in Psalms and Isaiah and Daniel and Zechariah. The New Testament, <clears throat> the chief cornerstone metaphor, Jesus used it in Matthew 12, uh, 21. Paul used it twice, no less than. Uh, Peter uses it again in 1 Peter. How many times did they use it and it's not recorded? The cornerstone is Christ, and by rejecting their chief cornerstone, they showed that they were unfit to hold their office because they couldn't even recognize their own Messiah. Even though he checked all the boxes and nobody else could or ever would. They were so preoccupied with their lifestyle, going the wrong way, that they, they, they just could not see anything because they could not believe This was not magic. It was not the luck of the draw. They could not believe because they did not want to believe. And don't we find people like this today? They do not want Jesus to be Christ. They do not want him to be true. So they're not going to submit. The Bible gives psychoanalysis of its characters and has no need for the world to contribute. The Bible holds these people up and says, listen, look at this guy. Now, what do you see in him? You don't want to see that in you. Do you find it in someone else? Okay, what can you do about it if you find it in someone else? Avoid them? Maybe um, preach to them. Verse 12. Now, this is one of the great verses of the entire Bible. A doctrinal verse. So you get verse-by-verse teaching. You get not only doctrine, you get context. You get how it happened. And Peter is going to be very careful to tell them, Christ raised this man... And he is the only one that can save your soul from hell. And that is doctrine. And then we let other people come along and give it all complicated names you can't even pronounce. I don't know why, but anyway. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The only true God can truly save a soul. Hosea, this is in their Bibles. And just remember, you know, all of our New Testament comes from ancient copies of the original manuscripts. We had no original manuscripts. Jesus quoted scripture. He had no original manuscripts. They were copies, and usually in the Greek, in the Septuagint. Uh, Of course, he being the author didn't need it, but my, my point is truth can be preserved. 
in uh, this way, and it is preserved. Your scripture is challenging, but trustworthy. Hosea says this, Yet I am Yahweh, your God, ever since the land of Egypt, and you shall know no God but me, for there is no Savior besides me. So Christ is either Yahweh of the Old Testament, or he's another Savior. He's not another Savior. He is the Yahweh of the Old Testament. He is God the Son. And uh, this is Peter laying it out to them that Christ has fulfilled the criteria and the right to, to be understood as the Savior. And many hate today, and through the centuries, hate the exclusive claims of Christ. Why does he get to be the only way? Because he's God. That's why. <laughs> Christians, go out and take mixed martial arts. You can pop people when they disagree with the gospel. No, no that wouldn't be us. Uh, we have to love them. <laughs> well, aren't you glad you were loved when Christ picked you out of, of the world and, and the way he did? I am. Uh, someone loved me enough to share the gospel and not back down from it. Even though I was winning the argument, they did not back down. Um, anyway... The world hates these exclusive claims. The myth, you know, they always, you know, Christianity is a myth. You know, your salvation is going to be a myth if you don't fix it. Uh, all roads lead to heaven. That's a myth. Think of the traffic jam. Uh, it, it's just, uh, they don't. It's mythological. God has said, said there's one road. It's an absolute truth. And Jesus warned of God's wrath for refusing him. And this is the case, state of the unbeliever. John 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on them. The wrath of God. This is our message. That else we have no good news. If there was no wrath, it's just everything's the same. But there is. Well, you better speed up. You've got several verses to do. For there is no other name in heaven. Uh, that's what... I'm sorry. I'm, I'm fighting humor or attempts at it. There is no other name under heaven. And this slams the door shut on every other religion on earth. If you think that Mary has something to do with your salvation, you believe in something that's not Christianity. I don't care what name you give it. If you believe in Allah for your way, you do not believe that you're not going to heaven on those grounds. If, if, if you're a Hindu and I don't know what even, I've lost track of the gods they follow. This offends people. Well, do I have a right to be offended that you believe stuff like that? If you're going to be offended that I disagree with you, don't I have a right to, uh, since you're disagreeing with me? Well, but it doesn't work that way. By the time Christ came, all the major religions of the world were already in place except Islam. Islam would come several hundred years later. But all the others, they were already there. Judaism uh, was presented with its next phase. And of course, uh, they missed it. Those who remained in Judaism, they did. Paul did not miss it. Well, he did it first. I can't wait to get to that. Who are you, Lord? What do you want me to do? That, is, that typifies the entire Christian walk. Learning who God is, what he wants, how he does it, siding with him, asking him what my role is. Such an exciting book. Man-made religions and rituals and regulations and deeds, they can become a great nuisance, detours from true salvation. Uh, John 10, verse 7, the name they hated was the only way to heaven. Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. That's pretty serious stuff in the days he was saying it. Given among men by which we must be saved, because we are sinners, we need to be saved. And ritual, birthright, and good deeds won't do it. They're not enough. Verse 13. Now, you can stay on verse 12. Do a whole series on verse 12. It's one of those verses. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled, and they re realized that they had been with Jesus. 
Well, you see the boldness of someone, and boy, he's bold. He must be dumb and untrained. What, how did, uh, it's, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Well, they were carnal men. They couldn't tell what anointing was. They were natural men, actually. <clears throat> carnal, too, but natural. Natural means they were untouched by the Holy Spirit unto salvation. They perceived that they were uneducated and untrained. In other words, they judged them by their speech, yes, and they also judged them by what they were saying and how they were saying it. And they said, these men have not been brought up in the schools of the rabbis. Their formal rabbinical training was not there. That was their criteria. They lacked indoctrination into Phariseeism or Sadduceeism, the rabbis. <clears throat> Paul said, I was a rabbi. I was a Pharisee. And I counted it all as rubbish. I had to get rid of all of it to learn Christ. Now, he didn't get away from his academic grammar, mathematics. That education he retained. But the indoctrination, he rejected all of it. Second Corinthians 10, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. We, this goes on to this day. What seminary did you go to? Look, I'm not against seminary. If you think you can't get raised up by somebody in the church, you've got to outsource your education, that's fine. Just don't go holding it over my head. Don't think that that is the criteria. And Jesus bypassed these men. He bypassed their writings, their rituals, and their lifestyle to their face, and they never forgave him for it. These apostles, uneducated according to their standards, the same thing they charged Christ with, John 7. And the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know letters having never studied? Who said he never studied? He never studied with you, which is why he was so much, humanly speaking, why he was not corrupted like you. I don't get People do this to this day. Universities find somebody who's very successful in Christianity, who hasn't gone through their schools. They give them an honorary doctorate because they have to make a claim. Billy Graham. Yeah, well, how many doctorates did he have? He had a whole bunch of them. He didn't earn one of them, not by their standards. He didn't go through the, you know, <laughs> submit his theses. And he just, <clears throat> he just preached the gospel. And they were like, wow, we got to get him on our side. And in those days, I guess you had to do it. These days, I don't know. I, I, I have such disdain for it. Um, there are pulpits in America. You can't get in them unless you've got a doctorate or a master's. You can't become a military chaplain without a master's degree in divinity. Who made that rule up? Some master of divinity, I guess. I don't know. But, but why? Why can't a person be anointed? What is that? What, what about that? Well, it doesn't have to be anointed. He just has to have this, these credentials. That's what these guys were doing. He doesn't have to have truth. He has to be one of us. So these untrained men, uh, untrained with them. Well, I have a lot more about this. We've got to get rolling. We're about out of time. Um, we might not make it to the end here. But we'll make it to heaven one day. So be encouraged. It's a very tempting thing to come to become a preacher from a pulpit and try to be eloquent. Try to learn more words, add to your vocabulary so you can speak over everybody's head except for one or two people. And you can impress them. Boy, he just knows so much he can articulate. Paul said this, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, they mocked Paul. They didn't like the way he spoke his Greek. And Paul said, you're not listening to what I'm saying. You're busy judging how I'm saying it. Uh, if I had very, very, very poor English, and I told you that you want a million dollars, you'd know what I mean, and you'd want to collect. <laughs> That's what ultimately counts. The vox and the verba. Well, see, that's those words. You, they, they make up those words, and they bake it into theology. And you come across them, and you start studying the vox and the verb, and you realize this is stupid. How about you just say what what you speak English, speak American? <laughs> well, 
we are going to have to pick this up again. At We're going to return to verse 13. So we've reached 13, and we'll start again at verse 13, because we want to keep beating up on people who think like that. <laughs> it's the old, there's a far side cartoon of these people stuck on an island, and they're taking rocks to write help. And the plane is flying over, but they didn't finish the P. So the P looks like an F. And the pilot says, oh, never mind. It says health. See? <laughs> so let's just throw away what truth is, and let's go with something else. I hope you don't hate me for it. But if you do, I don't really care. Let's pray. Our Father... Uh, Lord, to be able to communicate your truths and to not do it with a spirit of superiority, to not make enemies intentionally. It's very difficult, uh, but it is possible because of you. If you've been listening this morning and you've never opened your heart to Christ, as Jesus said, the wrath of God abides on you. What keeps you from embracing Christ? There is nothing better. There is no one better than Jesus Christ. There's no religion out there that says, I love you and die for you so that you won't have to die yourself in eternal hell. Nobody's got this. All the other religions of the world say you have to earn it. You're not good enough in the presence of a holy God to earn anything but judgment. But it is His love and grace which you, 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 we don't measure by this world. This world is cursed. We measure by His promises and His word. If you open your heart to Christ, you'll be saved from judgment. You will be one of His. If you close your heart, the wrath of God abides on you. It's that simple. If you make this prayer, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you that you would be from this day forward the one that saves me from the wrath to come and the one who lords over my life right now. And I give my life to you as a sinner, and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me from the inside out. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning, may you de- indeed strengthen them to not be ashamed of their confession. May they grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we ask you, amen.